0: Hey everybody, this is 365 Honest Questions About the Bible. i your long-suffering host, Dante Stack, and today we're on question 75. And this episode really is a preview episode, a preview of coming attractions. If you've been listening to the past few episodes, I've alluded to this skeleton in the closet, this demon hiding under my bed that I knew eventually I was going to have to broach and go toe-to-toe with, wrestle with, but I just didn't have the time to allocate resources and time and emotional energy towards... Going toe-to-toe with this thing. I'm getting there now. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I think what it's going to turn out to be is a series, and I don't know, that's kind of an unfortunate title to give it, because I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know how long I'm going to want to spend on it. I just know I need to vet it a little more. So it might turn out to be just a very straightforward series, where we do four or five-parter on this thing. Or maybe I do two parts get distracted, want to start going another direction, and then just keep coming back to it whenever, I don't know, I can or feel comfortable coming back to it. Also, unlike a fictional series where I could handcraft the beginning, middle, and end, I have no clue, you know, what my personal conclusions are going to be on this. But I was thinking, all right, this week I'm going to do a first part of it. I'm going to put my finger in that water. Um, and as I started to go down there, I realized there's kind of a broader question that I think helps helps us see how we look at this question and I need to get you all on the same page and kind of transition my own mind to looking at it in this way before we get there so today's question is is scripture holding back But before we get right to the music, I know that was usually the part, I would say the question and we'd jump right into the music, but let me set the table here. We're going to be talking about, you know, this specific skeleton in the closet or whatever, but that's not really the focus of this particular episode. The focus is, on that question, is Scripture holding back? Or you could also call it, what is Scripture holding back from us? See, I've been thinking a lot lately about metaphorical containers. My wife and I are moving to Russia come August, and so on my free time, I'm trying to learn a little Russian as I go, but I can't devote too many resources to it. But anyway, uh, when I am learning Russian, and I know a lot of the Slovene language, which is also a Slavic-based language, so I'm noticing when words come up in Russian that have similarities or some sort of association with the Slovene word that I learned for this or that thing, then I'm much more likely to retain a memory of it. And I realized... That as adults, we so rely on these containers to fit things in, right? We see or experience something new or hear new information. And automatically, in order, I guess, to hold on to it, we're going to put that piece of information into, like, a container bin. I remember hearing, I think it's while watching the show, Sherlock. Uh, Sherlock Holmes says, and I've never read those books, so... Maybe this is a big theme in all of the books. I don't know. But he often goes to his memory palace. The idea being that every time Sherlock Holmes gets new information, he mentally puts it in this big mansion or this palace. And then when he needs to retrieve that information, he mentally walks through his palace. And, oh, I put that dude's name in this folder in this in this room of my memory palace. So I just mentally walk through my memory palace, go into that room, pull out that folder... And then this information is here for me. It's a cognitive way to try to train yourself to remember things. And obviously, that's crucially important. And I think we all do it to one degree or another. Aristotle, you know, he made his whole philosophical life, essentially, on categorizing things. In medicine, in all sciences, I think categorization and throwing things into your container bins is vitally important to holding on to them and knowing how to use that piece of information. Another word or phrase I've heard for that is a hanger, right? So, information sticks if you have somewhere to hang it on. And if you don't have a hanger for that information, it's just going to fall and you'll forget it. My boss in Slovenia would often say this to us. He would say something like, I can't really introduce this information to you yet because you don't yet have a hanger or um, personal experience to associate this new piece of information with. Anyway, that is so vitally important to us as adults, but yet children don't do that, right? They don't put things into containers all the time. They're just little, like, open blank slates that you just input information on, and somehow they gather all that information and they retain it without having to make all these rigid, I don't know, orthodoxy containers about it. Maybe this conversation, this idea doesn't make any sense to you, but I'll wager that it will by the end of today's episode. Because, you know, right now you don't have that hanger to put this information on or this container to put the information into. Hopefully you will soon. Here we go. have a very vivid memory as, I don't know, a young child or a teenager, of listening to a sermon in church and the pastor was preaching about the sufficiency of scripture. And I may have missed the point at the time, but I obviously, I think I grasp it now, which is scripture tells us what we need to know. It's sufficient at providing for us the information we need to know to, I guess, get into relationship with God, or maybe receive salvation from Jesus. It is utterly, 100% sufficient in that regard. This, to me, has always been a difficult idea, right? If the Bible's purpose is to be a sufficient vehicle to transfer the gospel of Jesus Christ to us, then maybe, maybe it's sufficient, but it certainly isn't efficient because there's a thousand plus pages and a lot of it doesn't seem to contain directly to the gospel. So what is it trying to convey? What's it trying to tell us? And I've always wanted to argue from the very beginning, I guess with God, that it isn't sufficient, right? At least it's not sufficiently telling us the history of the world. I think a lot of us, a lot of Particularly conservative Christians look at the Bible and not only think it's sufficient for salvation, but it's also a sufficient lens to describe the universe and how the universe works and to describe the, at least, spiritual history of the world. A sufficient vehicle to depict the salvific history of God's work and intervention on earth. That one, that premise, I just, I don't see it. I don't think that's true. It's not sufficient, but uh, I guess I'm jumping the gun here. Let me lead you to how I come to that conclusion. And here's where we need to say, again, this is a preface to a longer series. Last year, about last summer, when this show was on hiatus, I read a book called Unseen Realms by Dr. Michael Heiser. And this whole concept, this series is going to be all about me trying to mutter through and chew on and fester on and think through... The main point he's trying to make in his book, Unseen Realms. But before we get all the way there, Dr. Heiser starts with saying he was in seminary, he was a regular conservative Christian, didn't have any unorthodox views about the Bible. And then one day, a friend of him handed him the Bible and said, Read Psalm 82. And when Dr. Heiser did, he was faced with information that he couldn't put into his bin. He didn't know what to do with it. It didn't fit into any of his orthodoxy or his system of understanding scripture. Now, through years of study and now writing this book, he's come to certain conclusions, so he's put this information into a new bin, essentially. I would say it's not the bin that most Christians have in their arsenal of informational bins, or hangers that they have in their mental memory palace. But, guys, it is a tantalizing theory. It's a tantalizing idea. And for one, it's, I always like coming across something and suddenly it doesn't fit into my bin. Obviously, I'm doing this show. I'm into that sort of thing. And one of the reasons I'm into that is because it produces this sense of awe in me. All of a sudden, I become that child again, right? Because I'm receiving information and it doesn't fit into any of my bins. A few years ago, I got on this history kick. And when I would start like a new era and I would suddenly delve into, say, the medieval time period or the dark ages... Initially, I would have this deep awe of it all, because there would be these things that just didn't make sense to me, and I had all these questions that I thought maybe would even have supernatural explanations for them, or maybe this is God working here in a way that I could never fathom before. And whether my assumptions were true or not, or whether I believed them to be true or not, in the end, the awe would eventually go away. For now, I feel pretty comfortable, like, alright, the Dark Ages, I kinda know how we get from a to z but they're still say ancient chinese history i'm i'm horribly ignorant of ancient chinese history so if you give me a little piece of ancient chinese nuggets along the way especially if it has something to do with god i'm going to eat that up like a tasty meal cuz it's going to produce this sense of awe in me and and there's so many potential answers out there cuz i can't fit that information into my ancient chinese bin cuz there's nothing in my ancient chinese bin except there was a Han Dynasty, (laughs) right? (laughs) But anyway, man, I'm taking a long time to get anywhere here, and I'm talking in very general terms. Let's look at some scripture here. We're not going to start with Psalm 82. We'll get there in a moment, but I was going to kind of go through this graph later, but let's go through it right now. Okay, imagine a chart, and at the top of the chart, there's the question, is scripture holding back? And then to the left or right, you have if yes and if no. So with that in mind, let's read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. This is Paul speaking. He says, "Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." If you believe when you read this that scripture is not holding back from us, right? Every piece of information from the Bible is going to fit into a specific bin. And all those bins are categorized and there's answers in all those bins. If you're that guy that thinks the Bible is telling a cohesive, logical point and we can make all these points out, right? If the Bible is sufficient to lead us to salvation and it's a sufficient vehicle for explaining redemptive history, then when you read this Ephesians 6 passage you're going to say, okay, nothing out of the ordinary here. This all fits into what I understand of the world, right? Paul's talking about here demonic forces. And sure, we know that there's archangels and there's lesser angels and there's seraphim and various levels. And we know that all demons, all satanic forces are fallen angels. So what Paul's listing here, his weird list, it's just ranks, or maybe names of the types of fallen angels. So that's all well and good. That's fine. He's talking about spiritual warfare. This all fits together. To try to give you another example, if you're of this category, if you think scripture is not holding back anything, when you read, say, Genesis 3.22, why don't I just read that right now? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him Adam out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken okay if you don't think scripture's holding all that back but you hear that God is talking to some unlisted party and talking in the plural that man's going to become like one of us there's really only one conclusion you can make God must be talking to himself, right? We believe in a trinity, so the Father is talking to the Son, or the Son is talking to the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit's talking to God. Those are your only options, right? If you don't think Scripture's holding anything back, then you have to put that all together, right? We know that you've had to put all the puzzle pieces of the Bible together, and if you're coming from a Protestant or a Reformed background, then you're looking at Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Revelation, and Genesis chapter 2, and saying, okay, we know there's this satanic figure that was one of the archangels, he fell from grace, and then he led man to sin, and all the demons are the third of the angels that fell with him, and now work to undo God's redemptive history, are working against God, they are the adversary to God the Father. And there's no one else besides God, there's no other God besides God, so this can't, be here in Genesis 322. This can't be what it kind of sounds like it is, which God is there in some sort of holy council of other beings that are potentially his equal. Anyway, you couldn't make that assumption. The other side of the flowchart, if you say scripture is holding back, if you say yes to that, then you can start making inferences. Then first off, you look at this passage in Ephesians and you go like Well, I I don't know what this is necessarily saying. I'm going to put this on the floor. I'm not going to put this in one of my pre-organized bins. I'm not going to try to categorize what this is saying. I'm not going to try to fit it into my systematic theology. But then if you're just taking this at face value, then you might say to yourself, all right, we don't wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers. So there's one category, a ruler category. Authorities, that's another category. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Cosmic powers, that's another category. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that's another category. And if you think scripture isn't telling the whole complete story of history, then you might think to yourself, there's more to say, there's more information out there about all these classes that Paul listed here that scripture isn't concerned about telling us more of speaking of things being not concerned with the things you want them to be concerned with, I had just about the most disappointing... No, scratch that. The second most disappointing movie experience of my life this past weekend. So I've been eagerly anticipating, ever since I saw the first trailer, for a movie that premiered at Sundance this year, and then Netflix scooped it up. And as of March 31st, started streaming this movie uh, on Netflix. A movie called The Discovery. So I watched the trailer and I was automatically like, this is, this seems like a movie that I myself would write. This is exactly the type of theme and it seems to be kind of the style and dealing with the stuff that I want movies and entertainment and art and philosophical thought to deal with. So the premise is that some scientist found a way to, without a doubt, prove that there's an afterlife. In the movie, I think it's that your neural brainwaves go somewhere else, like continue to travel after you're dead, or there continues to be some sort of brain movement or something like that. But anyway, the weird uh, flip side of that is, with a sudden proof of the afterlife, there's an epidemic of suicide throughout the world. The movie starts and there's 4 million suicides already, just based on this idea. and And that's so good, that is so good! write this idea that the only thing that keeps people who are in pain away from committing suicide is fear of the unknown, or fear that there is no afterlife. But but if science has proven that there is an afterlife, well shoot, why am I stuck here in pain? I'm just going to take the next ferry out to afterlife land and take my chances there. Start over again. Because so many of us want a new start. We want to hit the reset button. We want to do-over. I love that theme. It's brilliant. But... As I watched the film, and the first five, ten minutes of the film, I should say, I was completely invested. I was convinced this is going to be like my favorite film ever. But it turned out it wasn't concerned with those themes. It didn't want to say anything about suicide. Not really, at least. Not in the way that I wanted it to say something about suicide. It wasn't concerned with is there or isn't there an afterlife. Not really. It had other concerns on its mind. And it was horrible for me. Because I wanted it to be about the things that I thought it was going to be about. What if the Bible isn't concerned with the things that I think it should be concerned with? What if it isn't concerned with giving us a sufficient history of the world, of the supernatural world, a sufficient history of God's actions? Now, I told you that Dr. Heiser started his journey in Unseen Realms by reading Psalm 82. Now, he's a Hebrew scholar and can read the whole Bible in its native languages and whatnot, I can't do that, so I'm just going to read Psalm 82 in my ESV translation. Here we go. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die, and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now, first of all, there's a real problem, I guess, that scholars have with knowing when there's quotes here and when there's not. But don't worry about that. Here, In a very common English translation, Psalm 82 just talked about God in the midst of a council, a divine council, talking to other gods and rebuking them for not being just. But we're monotheists. We believe in one God. We don't think there's any other God. But Psalm 82 just said God's in the council of other gods. What do we do with this? Well, I can tell you what some people did. The good men and women that translated the New American Standard Bible, which is known to be a very literal translation, a very literal word-for-word translation of the Bible, they translated Psalm 82 entirely differently. Um, I won't read the whole thing. I'll just read the first verse because you get the idea, right? So my ESV says, Psalm 82, verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. The, the NAS reads as follows. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. Rulers. Now, rulers doesn't seem like it needs to mean gods at all. How do you get all the way from gods to rulers and divine counsel to congregation? Well, well, that gets down to the hermeneutics of how you translate specific words. Um, But the main word in question here is the word Elohim. And I think when we get into this series, we'll talk a lot more about the origins of the word Elohim, what it really seems to mean, where it seems to lead us. But, just so you have context here, Elohim is one of the accepted names of God. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, when it's talking about creation, only uses the word Elohim to describe God. It is Elohim that makes the world. So how could it be that Elohim means God, like singularly, in Genesis 2, but here in Psalm 82, it doesn't mean God at all. I think the reason is because, and to me, it looks like a little sleight of hand by the NAS guys, translators, but they know more than I do. But clearly they looked at Psalm 82 and they saw, no, no, we're we're not polytheists. We believe in one God. So this can't mean what it looks like it needs to mean. So we're going to translate it as something else. Right? It, it doesn't fit into our systematic theology. It's not saying what we believe the rest of scripture is saying. So surely it's not saying that thing. We're gonna cram it into one of our containers of what the Bible is, no matter how hard we have to push on it, and no matter how much of it is splurging over that container, uh, lid. That's, that's really all I got for you guys, is what if instead of trying to cram this Psalm 82 into one of our containers of knowledge, we just pick it up and put it in a new blank container. Put it on a new hanger that doesn't have any clothes hanging from it. And then, maybe when we start looking at other Bible verses that might correlate in some way, when we look again at Genesis 3:22 and we see God talking to other people that seem to be the same as him, Maybe we put that into the same container as Psalm 82. And when we see other references to divine counsel, we can put that in the container. And when we look at references to the sons of God, we can put that in this container. And Nephilim, and the god of the mountain, and all these other kind of spiritual... Ephesians 6.22, powers of the air, and evil forces in the heavenly places, things. And we can put this all into one container, and then we can label that container, and we can understand it, or at least begin to understand it. Maybe... Or maybe we just put all these things in that container and then we mark it fragile and we walk away. I don't know yet, but I thought this was kind of an important conversation to start us off so that we're not going to a jump to conclusions, Matt, right away. That we can hold these things a little loosely, at least in the beginning, and say, it's okay if this doesn't right now fit into our theology. We don't have to smash it into one of our categories. We can just be like a child and just be in awe of Psalm 82 for a while. Would you do that with me? And hopefully I can kind of direct us as we go through this journey together. Now and in the future, or maybe I'll get tired of it and never take you along for the ride. (laughs) This has been Dante Stack, signing out. Peace be the journey.